Well, hello world, and welcome back to another deep dive in John Roper's thoughts on Roped In. Um, uh, normally, I have a crazy amount of things to go with this. This time, I can't say I do. Um, exciting news for me, not necessarily sports world, but I will just get into it. Exciting news for me is I am, uh, when you're listening to this, in Orlando. Maybe when you're listening to this, at least I'm going to drop this when I'm in Orlando. I'm recording this right before I'm leaving for Orlando, which is one of the reasons it's going to be cut a little bit shorter than normal. I don't have as much to get into, but knowing we are going to talk a lot anyway. But yes, either way, I am getting ready to go to Orlando with my family. I am super excited to do this trip. Um, I have Monday night football tickets to the Eagles versus Buccaneers with my dad, maybe some other members of my family. Um, it's going to be a blast. Um, other things that are happening in the sports, I mean, yeah, yeah, football's going on. I love football. My fantasy teams are 0-2, so I'm, I, I'm in the hurt locker right now. But on today's episode, I'm going to be continuing the discussion of my top 10 position group. So today we're going to be talking about the top 10 linebackers. And I'm going to have a familiar voice, Ian Kinch. Um, who knows, maybe one day he's going to be the permanent familiar voice, but right now he's just one of my good friends. We're having a lot of fun doing this. So he's on my podcast. Um, we're also going to talk about some of the hardest positions to play in sports because recently there was a bit of a debate on a talk show with Richard Sherman and some wide receivers over, is it harder to play cornerback or wide receiver? Which then just got me thinking, what's the hardest position to play in sports? So we're going to talk about that as well. Um, I hope you have a lot of fun, um, listening to this. Maybe, I guess, I don't know. Do you have fun listening to podcasts? Um, I, I do either way. Yes. Um, here's today's episode. So without further ado, I got to quickly finish packing. Here's today's episode. Hey everybody, here we are with the first segment, and uh, I'm going to be talking about a topic that I've been wanting to talk about it for a while, because I think it was two or three weeks ago, Richard Sherman got into it on a talk show with some wide receivers, some ex-NFL wide receivers, um, about the fact that the cornerback position was hard to play, and they kind of laughed at him and stuff like that, and that it was harder than a wide receiver, um, which had me thinking about the hardest positions to play in sports, but as always, life's better with company, so... Or a familiar voice uh, from the past couple episodes. I've got Ian Kinch joining me again. How's it going, Ian? Good, John. Yeah, excited to be back in the hot seat and, and go over this one. It should have a good debate aspect to it on what's the hardest position in sport. Nice. Uh, fun fact, guys, that's take two. John messed up the first take on that one. So <laughs> thank God for editing. <laughs> Either way, yeah, hardest position in sport. So again, it was Richard Sherman. For those that don't know, Richard Sherman was... One of the best cornerbacks, I think, to play. He was in his prime during the heyday. I think could easily go down as the best cornerback in the league during his prime. Um, big mouth on him, kind of talk to talk. But I think because he walked the walk and proved it. Um, I don't know about you, Ian. I, I, people that talk to talk but also walk the walk, I'm okay with them talking to talk because you back it up. Yeah, it's one thing that works when you're playing well, but then if there's a decline and you continue having that that talk the talk mentality, and you're not able to back it up, it can it can bite you a bit sometimes. <laughs> then you start becoming the target of some players, and they just want to get at you. Um, you he has his moments here there, but like a D D Dylan Brooks has has some targets on his back for 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 how how he says things. But then again, he walks the walk sometimes. 
Um, but yes, this is all starting because I don't know the talk show. I mean, I can quickly look it up, but it was Richard Sherman on a talk show with um, some old NFL players. And again, they were talking and Richard Sherman mentioned that the cornerback position was harder to play than the wide receiver position. They basically laughed in his face and said that you play corner because you're a bad wide receiver. Uh, it, it had me thinking. So, I mean, Ian, you did play a little football. Uh, I mean, you might not have played those positions, but you would know a little bit. I think that maybe in the early days, yes, you might be put at cornerback because you don't have the catching ability as a wide receiver. But when you get to the elite playing levels, even if it's an elite high school league or even college, like when you're in that SEC kind of level of college football or NFL level, you, you need to be more than just a guy that can run a route but can't catch. I think to be a cornerback requires a bit more skill. What do you think? Yeah, I, I played on the defensive side of the ball. I was a lineman, though, so definitely one of the easiest <laughs> positions in football. You just are colliding with the O-line and go uh, reacting to – yeah, you, you go forward and react to run or pass. But uh, with, with cornerbacks, I think a big thing is the skill set that it takes. It's, it's backpedaling while someone's running full speed towards yeah. you. It's, it's being able to open your hips and make that turn to then run with them. Um, and then it's being able to react to the ball that's in the air, whether that's cutting back down on the ball or trying to get a pass breakup. Like it's it's not that easy as just as far as like it's a wide receiver who can't catch. There's a different skill set. It's reactionary instead of knowing what you're doing at the start of the play. That's completely where I agree. And it's I mean, spoiler alert to people that are listening. Reactionary is a good word to use because that's a kind of big component to positions that I think Ian and I have in the hardest positions to play in sports. Um, but I agree. It's, it's, I wouldn't say the only position in football, basically every position has a basic aspect of reaction, but cornerback is the only one that literally relies on reaction and only reaction. Sometimes it could turn around to bite you in the butt. Like I remember I saw a highlight. I'm not going to try and remember the names because I, I I'm going to butcher it, but it was a play where the receiver faked the cornerback out perfectly because the cornerback was playing so reactionary and it was a run to the left side. It was a stretch side and the, the receiver faked on a streak. I think it was DK Metcalf. If I'm thinking about it and faked that he was catching the ball just to tie the cornerback, the entire play for the cornerback to then turn around and realize the ball was being run, ran in by a running back. Um, So, I mean, yeah, the cornerback is, I think one of the toughest ones because you have to react right away to the run pass like every other defensive one. But it's, again, where you're keeping the eye on the quarterback. you got to figure out when he releases it. You're you're trying to stay close enough to the man. If you're good enough, you're also trying to save maybe far enough away that you can bait the quarterback into it. But you don't want to take too far enough away that the receiver is just going to make a different cut, and now you're too far away from the play. Like I don't know. I just think there's too many aspects in that position of cornerback that it's up there as the hardest – Okay, I shouldn't say the hardest, but definitely one of the hardest positions to play in sports. Yeah, one one of the other things I think of from when I was playing as a corner, if let's say there's a sweep going to the outside, if the defense is trying to contain it, eventually the corner is going to have to be trying to tackle the running back. Like if it keeps that play, keep him inside. Yeah, if it's yeah, if it keeps getting bounced outside, well, eventually get to the corner, and so you're then looking at a huge size mismatch if you're a corner versus someone like Derrick Henry. Like, so there is still that need to stop the run. But at the end of the day, again, it goes back to the wide receiver knows exactly what they're doing during that route on his, any given play. And then 
the defense is having to react to it. And the corner, again, there's a lot of skill set in matching that person, especially in man-to-man cover. That's a tough, that's a tough ticket to sell right there. Yes, I completely agree. And I mean, again, the way I brought up the segment, not to say that the wide receiver position is easy. I just think cornerback is harder at a elite level than a wide receiver. Yes, I think in the early days and in, in most high school leagues, you probably play cornerback as a second option when you're a wide receiver. But again, elite levels, I think it's something else. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You think that would you put another position in football as the hardest position in sports? The, the one that stands out to me pretty drastically on the offensive side of the ball is quarterback. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. it's someone, yeah, it's someone who's going to have to not only know the playbook for himself, but every other skilled player on that offense. So what is every receiver doing in that given play? What is the running back doing in a play? Um, they're also involved in every single play. Like, yes, the center gives them the ball, but whether it's a handoff or a pass, they're going to be involved. So all eyes are on them. And it's hard to win in the NFL without a good QB. Like you brought it up when you were talking about running backs and should they be paid higher salaries compared to wide receivers or quarterbacks? There's a lot of teams that can win with a committee backfield, but you're not going to get that with a QB. It shows how important that position is. And again, the spotlight is on a quarterback every single play could you imagine if we saw a committee quarterback one day yeah i i feel like some somehow we saw that a little bit with Taysom hill down in new orleans <laughs> briefly but actually they did that last week didn't they? i actually think they did yeah that. yeah so it, they're still with, yeah yeah and with that there's the that mental preparation right you're understanding yeah. the coverage of what the defense is doing understanding how to beat that coverage and it's not just knowing what they're doing, but then also reading it on the fly, both pre-snap and after snap and and finding those throwing lanes. Like I, I think it was a video of Tua down in Miami of his perspective of a play developing. And oh yes. It you know, just the chaos that's happening around him and he's still trying to find the guy who's open in that coverage. I think it takes a lot to be a quarterback. And you see yeah, that when people come out of college. That video also made me think of Drew Brees, and I was like, dang, that little shorty, him and, like, Russell Wilson, those guys, I'm like, man, seeing that view from two, I was like, how do you see over some of those, like, six, seven linemen to find your wide receiver for 5,000 yards a season? Yeah, it's, it's it's fine that way to just, again, find those lanes where you can see through, and and then it's also about delivering the ball through the, the forest of arms that might try and knock it down. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Quarterback in football. Um, I think another super hard position to play, again, going back to the reactionary side. Um, again, you might agree. I don't know if you played. I feel like you played organized baseball. Either way, you know baseball. Um, I think a catcher in, in Major League Baseball, actually just in baseball in general, is a super hard position to play. Um, I'm going to add in some of the physical aspect crouching down like that for two hours is super it's hard itself. yeah i mean they've got the knee pads but like huh, that's ridiculous yeah no to go on top of that there's the fact that there's you're gonna get beat up along the way with stuff like foul tips or yep. blocking a wild pitch and 
those things do add up over time, especially in something like a major league baseball season, which is 162 games, like getting foul tipped every game is going to add up. (laughs) It also is one where like, you've got to be the one that, I mean, yes, with the practice and everything, I feel like it's like a quarterback and receiver where you kind of know where it's going to go, but catching a curveball thrown at, I'm going to say like what? Who's one of the hardest pitchers? Like, I feel like maybe uh, who's Thor? Noah Syndergaard. He probably feel like mm-hmm. what an eighty-nine mile an hour slider. How are you supposed yeah. to react to that as a catcher? So like, it's those kind of things where they're reacting to the catch. Like, yes, a hundred mile an hour fastball is still going straight, but it's going so fast that you still have to know where to catch it. A curveball, any kind of movement on a pitch is super impressive to catch at that level at that speed. And then the small final thing to add in is the framing ability like they they also have to keep in mind of the batter's box and they're playing a little bit of slight eye with the the umpire behind there and they're like i, I can kind of catch this in one motion move it in um some of them i mean they might just get the play call from the the uh coach but they're also dictating the pitch that's coming out i mean i guess with the technology nowadays maybe not so much they probably have different ways um, but there's just so many aspects to the catcher to add on on top of the fact that your reaction skills have to be ridiculous. And then you got to have a the, cannon for somebody at second. Yeah, the the pitch com, which is that system that's recently been introduced. I, I don't know how that's affecting pitch calling, but I know for sure catchers have had that within the repertoire of skills in the yeah. past. Um, someone like Jason Veritek, this is you know going back to an older catcher, but he caught four no hitters. I think it's tied for most in the, in the majors. And he almost had a fifth, but Kurt Schilling shook off one of his pitch calls and ended up resulting in breaking up the no hitter. But yeah, you think about the the mental position, the, sorry, the mental side of the position for a catcher. Um, it's understanding the game plan and the the tendencies of the opposing lineup. You also have to understand who's on base at what time. Are they a speed threat for a stolen base that maybe you have to try and throw them out at second or third? And then that's all on the defensive side of the, the game. There's also the offensive <laughs> side. And and so then you have to go and try and still hit three out of 10 of your at-bats to be successful, right? Like if you're trying to hit a 300 average, you're doing that while also preparing on the defensive side of the game as much as you have to. The uh, skill that Buster Posey had. Yeah, Ooh. and and then you think about on the defensive side again, you're not only catching for one specific pitcher. There's the five starters in the rotation. What are their tendencies? How does the, the ball move for that specific person? You then have the entire bullpen. So going back to what you said, John, like you know, you might have... man staff you have to know. Exactly. And you might have someone who's throwing, let's say, a 98 mile per hour fastball that still has movement on it. And then you get into a reliever who might throw a 75 mile per hour curveball. Those are two very different balls. But again, the catchers just know those pitching staff so well to be able to to work with them on a day to day basis. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Again, kudos to the catchers. Um, baseball is I don't know. It's also one of those ones that when I was thinking about it, it's. There's a lot to baseball. I'm going to give her credit. There's a lot of times I bring up this argument that I'm like, oh, you don't need to be athletic to play baseball. And it's one of the sports that requires leaf man athleticism. Um, I'm also going to say that it requires potentially the most amount of skill at that level. Um, 
Yeah, some people are going to say like things like Big Poppy or those kind of people, like all they could do is hit. But to hit at the level that he was hitting is remarkable. And I think as an athletic skill, maybe not a physical athletic ability, but just an athletic skill, there is a lot that requires in baseball for you to be an elite player, even if it's just on the offensive side. But again, then you got to add in some of the people like, like a Mike Trout. Again, I had a segment on him. Shohei Otani is not, is he not only physically athletic? I think he's the most skilled athletically person in like a major sport. I don't want to add in like CrossFit and those kind of things, but like athletic skilled in like the big four sports that I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. Considering he up until recently when he got injured was, you know, pitching at the level that he was and hitting at the level that he was. He's one of those athletes that will probably be a once in a generation type of guy in our lifetime. Yeah. And again, going uh, back to yeah. going back to a guy that we talked about last week when Matt was on, um, Deion Sanders even came out in an interview recently and people were talking like, oh, what's harder, football, baseball? And he was like, hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do. It is yeah. the hardest skill in sport. Ooh. So it could Maybe be a fun, a fun segment. For a future segment, not only a hard position, but what is just the hardest hardest skill or play in sports? We'll have to give it some thought. Interesting. We'll bring that to the think tank. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's where I think in baseball is the catcher. It, it then had me thinking about other positions. And again, with the reactionary thing, uh a goalkeeper uh goalie keeper they yeah it was the one that popped in my head but then it, it really had me thinking because there's a lot of sports that use goalkeepers so so i don't know ian i guess you and i can go into a back and forth um of not necessarily a debate maybe we'll agree but which sport of the goalkeepers is the hardest to be a goalkeeper in because i think it's it's hard to be a goalkeeper in any sport so i'm gonna say it's one of the hardest positions but maybe which sport has it the hardest um, where I'm going to start off, I'm going to say soccer. Um, football is what I mainly know it as, but North American listeners mainly know it as soccer. Either way, that's a different debate for a different day. It's football. Get it right. Um, that goalkeeper, I, I mean, whereas you might not have as many opportunities to necessarily make plays, like I do think a hockey goalie or a lacrosse goalie will make more saves in a game. The the size of a goalie, like a, a soccer goal, I'm going to keep saying football. I'm not going to say this. The size of a football goal with the power and spin that top-level strikers can put on the football, I do think it's, I don't know, it's unbelievably hard to make certain saves that they do. That's why you really only see like the top goalkeeper make maybe three or four amazing saves a season. Um, I'm also going to, I don't know, where it's also tough with football is that defensive line in front of you can really make your job a lot easier. And that's why I was saying, like, a hockey goalie, you're going to see 30 shots a game. If you've got a good defense going against maybe a not-so-great offense, as a football goalie, you might only have to save three shots um, that are maybe dribblers. Like, again, so that's where, when it comes to the peak, it's tough. I think another aspect that adds into it is the penalty kick aspect or free kick aspect is that is literally just, is it you? So yeah, the penalty kick in, in, in football, that's where you, you see more goals and you see misses. Like it's remarkably hard 
to be that. And again, that's adding in another reactionary status into the the sports as being a goalkeeper. Um, but I mean, you played more more hockey, I guess. Like, do you think hockey takes it, or would you say it's football? The so that idea about the the penalty kicks for sure in. I'll say soccer because that's just how I'm, <laughs> I'm used to calling it. But uh, yeah, in soccer, it's it's one of those things of even if someone who's playing goal knows where the ball is going, let's say, or at least reacts to it correctly, it's not a guarantee that they make the save because the speed and power of the shot is going to have a big play on it or the placement as well, right? Yeah. So definitely a hard one in, in soccer. I think for me, hockey is one of those ones where – um, kind of going back to something we said about with, with catchers in baseball is the positioning and the toll that it can take on, on a body. So the butterfly style, which is really about covering the lower part of the net, which is the most common style in the NHL these days, it's a demanding way to play. And it's really hard on like the hips, the knees. And so you see guys getting injured in that way. Um, Gary Price is an example of someone who's recently uh, been injured and, and I think he's retired at this point, but he had some hip issues near the end of his career. Um, it's also the speed at which the pucks traveling in hockey, you know, shots are 80 to hundred miles per hour. Um, and it is just a small, hard piece of vulcanized rubber. Like there's, there's not much to it and it's going to hurt when it hits you, even though the padding is what it is today. Um, and the game's also going faster than it ever has before. Um, the evolution of the game and, and the demands on a goalie is a huge one. And I think a big difference between, say, soccer and hockey is that, and maybe this is me not knowing enough about soccer, but um, there's also huge guys like, you know, there might be someone who's six foot three, six foot four, who's standing in front of the goalie trying to block their vision. So then they have to try and like look around them, look, and because you can't look through them. Um, and so with that, it's there's all of those components which are like the physical aspects, but then there's also that mental one. Like there's some goalies who are notorious for just letting in like a soft goal here, they're one that they shouldn't have. And so there's that need for consistency and really being on your A game. And similar to baseball, like tracking a puck versus tracking a baseball, it's it's a tough one. Like even when you're watching it on TV, it's sometimes easy to get lost in in terms of where the puck is. So I think those are some of the things that do stand out between say soccer and, and hockey for goalies. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. The, the aspect of, of marking right in front, I think, again, this comes down to the rules, which makes it a little bit different, but I mean, in hockey, once you're in the zone, you can literally park a guy in front of that and have him do a tip. That's not offside. So that's where yeah. I, I will agree. The reaction side is a lot harder. Cause I mean, I could only imagine in soccer, if you could literally just park like a, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, or or maybe if that was the case, you could throw somebody that's like Shaq size and just have him be like, yo, stand in front of the goalie. When somebody shoots, you're just going to make a little tip at the last second. It would be impossible. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so that, I mean, I do agree, yeah. One of the things, though, I think now that I'm thinking about what I've said and also what you had brought up, you know, a free kick, for instance, or a corner kick, there's still a lot of chaos happening in front of the net. So maybe that is a bit of a comparable between say soccer and yeah, hockey where there is a lot of much but yes there definitely is some plays where there's just chaos don't get me wrong shielding does happen in football it just it's a lot more prominent and there are people that can actively just do that in hockey whereas yeah. in football you're going to be offside if you stand too close and the field's too wide of a play that you're not totally going to be blinded as a goalie in football again because yeah. of the offside rules 
Yeah, but that that also does go back to what you said about just the size of the net, right? Like you look at off the mark, man. Go, yeah, it's you, six foot you, seven. You still can't dive to the top corner. Yep, and you you look at a goalie these days, and you know just standing up, they cover a lot of that net, but it's not the same in in soccer. <laughs> yes, um, but I mean you're right with the physical aspect, and I mean which which now has me thinking, and I'm gonna say. I don't know a lot about the sport, people, but from the the videos I've seen, I don't know if you see much of them, Ian, but I'm going to also throw in, like, water polo as a goalie would be tough. Again, I don't know the size. Like, I haven't seen it too much, but, like, the fact that you just got to sit there and tread water and then save a shot, like, like the, the quick reaction to go to this side in a hockey skate, like, you can push yourself to the side. As a goalie, you can jump off the ground. When you're swimming, like you're pushing against water to try and get to the other side of the water. Yeah, so, I, like, I feel like it has aspect, to be. Like, well, that's water pole's got to be up there for sure. With with the I guess net itself, as you were saying, you can't really jump. So are you egg beatering your legs faster to try and <laughs> lift yourself up out of the water? And so going back to kind of just my own knowledge of it, I maybe see water polo during the olympics maybe <laughs> so maybe. i only see so much but i would also say that from what i've heard water polo is one of those things where you can't see it because the cameras are always above water but it's just like absolutely vicious like people like, yeah, hit, like punching grabbing yeah so it's one of those ones where i feel like there's water some aspects like that right we just don't know enough like, about yeah. yeah but yeah again overall goalie yes but maybe we'll go back and forth on me thinking football, you thinking hockey, but there's a goalkeeper in any sport is amazing. So hats off to all those goalkeepers. Um, so, I mean, I'll say that's the top three. Maybe you can agree with that. That's probably our top. I guess we added two in football. So dang, that's the top four. Um, I don't know. So some other ones that I had thought of being a basketball player, a point guard. I mean, there's a lot of hard positions, but point guard, I think, also goes down to, like, quarterback. And and people that I think excel the most at point guard is also a bit of a mental aspect. Is, like, people like a Steve Nash and a Chris Paul. So, I'm going to list just a couple of things with the point guard. So, not only are you, on average, the shortest position on the court. So, when you're driving into the lane, you're going against people that are seven inches to a foot taller than you in some situations that in itself is tough you're trying to score over them trying to score around them you've also got to know the tendencies of your players and this is where i think people like a steve nash and a chris paul were absolutely amazing there's a podcast that i listen to knuckleheads shout out to knuckleheads i hope one day i get famous enough to be able to meet them it's quentin richardson and darius miles for those that don't know um for those that don't know that they're ex-NBA players. Um, I absolutely love them to death. Darius Miles has been in a couple of movies. Uh, I don't want to get too tied up on this, but he was in a movie with Chris Evans where they stole an SAT exam. Uh, Scarlett Johansson was in this movie too. Um, it's a crazy throwback, but yes, either way, Darius Miles was in that movie and I loved watching him play. But they have a podcast, Knuckleheads. I'm getting off topic. They have a podcast called Knuckleheads and on there is Quentin Richardson who was a player on the Suns when Steve Nash was there. Where I'm getting to all of this is he's mentioned that Steve Nash knew his players, knew where they were going to be in the sense of 
he knew that when he drove to the right with Amari Stoudemire and and Sean Mary on his side, what the defenders were going to do and where Quentin Richardson was going to be on the left side, that he didn't have to look and he knew where Richardson was going to be. The other thing that I think makes a point guard amazing and makes it fun to play with is he knew when to get the ball to his players. Is Again, I'm quoting Quentin Richardson along with what I've seen is he knew that, okay, if you've gone three or four plays and you haven't been involved in the offense, I'm going to get you involved, which I think as a point guard is a huge aspect because you've got to maintain egos. So, I mean, you see all these super teams out there now. Um, I'm not going to say he had a crazy amount of skill. He was the point guard. Things like Mario Chalmers was the point guard on a Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosh team. Actually, that's a bad example because he wasn't the ball handler. I'm not going to go into there. Um, but either way, when you're the point guard on a team that has two or three other distributors, maybe let's say Chris Ball during the during the Lob City eras um, in L.A., you've got to know when to get the ball to your players, which helps because the players know, okay, I haven't been involved in three to four plays. I don't need to get mad in the huddle. I don't need to get dramatic. The ball's coming to me eventually. Um, so I think a two-minute way to say, Point guards do an amazing job of getting everybody involved. <laughs> the the one I think it was in Kobe's book, but he was talking about how he also knew with Shaq, like where does Shaq want the ball when he's low post and he's like yes, dumping it off to too. him, right? And so it's not just like high low; it's left hand, right hand away from defender like into the defender's body so there's there's this cerebral aspect in that way of as far as preparation but john you mentioned something interesting which i am going to to ask you about so mario chalmers was your example and he wasn't the primary ball handler so do you think nba teams need an elite point guard like yes they're still going to be involved in the offense but to me one of the things that maybe breaks down the argument a bit is someone like mario mario chalmers who wasn't the primary ball handler in Miami. You know what? Fair enough. This is a good point, actually, because it then opens up a topic where you're completely right, because I think basketball is one of the best, if not the best sport, of having just positionless players. If you're a ball player, you're playing. And 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 again, that's where I say, like, you, you have people like, again, on that Heat team, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, in my mind, were the primary ball handlers of that team. They weren't the... Agree? statistical lineup point guard on that team. Um, but LeBron James has minus the times he had Kyrie because Kyrie is a good point guard, but even then he split the share 60, 40. I mean, Kyrie had a 60, he had a 40 kind of 60, 40 split. And LeBron is a unique basketball player, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like things like that, or like, as you're saying with the Kobe reference, Kobe's a shooting guard played point guard when it came to Shaq. So like maybe it's the role of point. You can have a point forward, point guard. Hell, you can have a point center like Jokic. Primary ball handler. Being the the ball handler slash distributor is amazing. Because, I mean, that's actually a good point to bring up. Because on the Nuggets, I'd put that position in in, in Jokic's hand. Like, he's that position for the Nuggets. Uh, Jamal Murray is pretty good. I don't want to take away from Jamal but, Murray. But he's but also, he's also a two. Yeah. And and I put Murray as more of like a shooting guard personally, like yeah, you know even that's, then. that's so yeah. So again, let's let's go with the point position in basketball. That primary ball handler. 
Um, another one that I'm going to throw out, I'm going to be honest, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I don't know too much about the sport. I played it a little bit growing up. I've watched it here and there. I follow it from time to time. Um, but it's cricket. Um, a position that I think in cricket is arguably one of the hardest in sports is a wicketkeeper. Um, John, I'm just going to have that... to ask, Okay, what, what's a, what's a wicketkeeper? Because I don't know. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I'm glad you asked this because I probably would have gone on. So for those that don't know cricket too much, I don't want to explain too much about the rules. It's an oval field. Uh, it's like a like a, a dirt patch in the middle, and you've got three wooden stumps on each end. Those are called wickets. Idea in cricket is you hit the ball, and all you like there's two of you hitting at the same time. Dang, I can't too much in the cricket rules, but I'll quickly explain. Two of you hitting at the same time, you hit the ball, you run to the other end of the dirt patch. And every time you run one like length of the dirt patch, you get a run. Okay. So you but you could turn around and run back and get two runs. And then there's like a safe zone as long as like the ball gets back into the safe zone and things like that. So you, you have to get stopped. Either way, I don't want to dive too much into the cricket rules. You've got Google, you can get into it. Um but yes, you gotta run back and forth. Um and a wicket keeper is the guy that you know what? You know what's an easy way to explain this position? It's the yeah. catcher. It's the okay. catcher in baseball yep. is the wicket keeper in cricket. Everybody, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, there it is. Um, so yes, they are the ones that stand behind the pitch. Whereas I don't think it's as hard in the sense of the movement of the pitch. The pitch in cricket can still move. It bounces. It comes at you in different ways. Um, but another aspect in cricket is you have to be available to a reactionary bounce. Again, you bounce it off dirt. So you could make a bowl and it hits a weird, hard dirt pot ricochets left. But in cricket, if it goes past the wicket keeper and then runs past the boundary, that actually counts as runs. So okay. not only do you have to be prepared for a foul tip, you literally have to be prepared for anything. Cause if you don't catch it, typically there's nobody behind you. It's called the wicket keeper. There's not a position called the wicket keepers keeper. <laughs> that goes, so, that goes that that's definitely got to get into like cricket strategy there which i don't know anywhere near enough to talk about either way yeah we don't need to get too much into the strategy of cricket but you've got to be that reactionary person the foul tips um i'm not going to give it hard into baseball it's the way it works but in cricket it's the only position really where you have gloves and like safety padding around you for the positions you have to be and they also have similar things like baseball where a bit of knee padding behind like they have things to try and make it more comfortable, but it's still a physically taxing position. Quick reactions. Um, again, to to dumb it down, it's the catcher version in cricket, and cricket and baseball are so similar that I've got to put it in there in one of the hardest positions to play. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tap tap into some of your knowledge here because again, interesting to learn about the cricket side of things with the wicket keeper and knowing that it's like a catcher in baseball is a helpful way to to connect those dots. <laughs> but with your knowledge with soccer or football as as you you'll call it, uh midfielders, I wanna know a little bit more of what you think about that. Cause to me it's there's aspects of the position. They run so much during a game. They're involved on the offensive side, the defensive side. So how do you feel like that fits into like the the hardest positions in sport just based off physicality. Yes. Um, having been a person that yes, did play football. Um, it's football, uh, growing up. It was so yes, I think midfield and again, in terms of the physical aspect and I'm going to put it up there that I do think that 
football requires a lot of skill to be good at. And yes, I think being a midfielder is physically taxing. You look at somebody like a N'Golo Conte, those that don't know crazy amount of football might not know. He could run and he was the energizer bunny of football, can make any tackle you want, knew where to be, knew which passes to make. Like it was unbelievable watching him play. Having been a player of football, I started as a right back because I, I don't know. I was always a defender. So I started as a right back, then got shifted into a center back. And then oh, one day in practice, my teammate gets injured. Actually, no, it wasn't injured. No, we just split the teams up. And it was the starters versus the reserves. And then the assistant coach was like, you know what, John? I'm going to try you in midfield today. And my dumb self played well in midfield, which is like, yeah, you want to play well. But then the coach was like, ah, I'm going to keep you in midfield. So then my job every goddamn game was to just run around the flipping place. However, when I then got to the varsity level, I'm going to be fully honest with you. I didn't start, so I can't blame him on there. But yes, the midfield position, super hard to play. Um, both attacking side, defending side, doing everything, being an overall midfielder could be one of the hardest positions to play in sports, for sure. Yeah, there, as far as like sports that involve a ton of running, like rugby or Aussie rules football also come to mind, but I don't know enough about those. The other yeah. one I wanted to pick your, the other one I wanted to pick your brain on was a closing pitcher in baseball. The big thing for me like on that it. one, like the one for me on that one is that you're you're talking about someone who's coming in in a pressure-packed situation to close the game out. So it's not just that you have to bring your A game when it comes to your arm and the velocity that you're delivering your pitches at and the precision you're doing it with, but it's being able to handle that pressure in that situation because some players will crumble, but those guys routinely step up and we'll close the game out routinely like Mariano Rivera. Yeah. The guy just couldn't uh, miss. And I, the, there's other guys like Eric Gagne. Again, these are some, some older references, but they can just shut a game down. And that is yeah, huge no, to know that that's I mean, coming in from a bullpen. It's also certain things where it, I shouldn't say it's the only, I didn't play a lot of baseball, but to me, it was one of the positions in baseball that, I think it's got the aspect of the walkout music, but it struck fear in certain people's eyes. Like because they have the walkout music in base in baseball, and it's basically the same music they have every time. Um, things where I go back to it became super mainstream, but it was that Mets closer that had that super catchy trumpet one that was like da, 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 da. I, I know the one you're talking about. Yep. Um good trumpet, right? Um yeah. Very good. So it's those kind of things that he was also having a wicked season and i'm sure the second the hitters heard that song hit the sound they were like we're fucked we've lost this game it's it's it reminded me of things like the haka that new zealand rugby does like you, yep. you see that and you're just like we don't stand a chance so again like mariano's rivera didn't he come out to like enter the sandman or something like that there was definitely bells at the start of his and when you heard those you knew yeah. you were in for uh so like yeah a tough you, out. You, there were just certain ones where you it's like the Undertaker's dun, dun. like there's yep. certain things where you're just like, ooh, sends a shiver down your spine. So I would agree that a closing pitcher is definitely up there. Um, again, as you're saying, the pressure packed position, you're coming in, you're expected to do it. Um, I mean, a pitcher, a starting pitcher can have one bad inning and six good ones, um, and still have an all right game. You come in as a closing pitcher and give up one run, and you could be the reason your team loses. Sometimes you come in 
with a runner already in scoring base and all you do is give yeah. them a hit. Um, so yeah. yeah, without a doubt, closing pitcher is one of them. Um, I'm starting to realize this is a super fun segment, but I don't want to take up crazy too much time because I don't want this to be the only segment. Maybe one of the things we can branch off eventually is Again, maybe as I've teased on some of the hardest plays to do in sports, but maybe we could just mention what are some of just the hardest position, like the hardest sports that you need to have, like English language. Which sports require the most skill to be amazing at? Could be a future segment. Um, but either way, thanks a lot for joining me on this one, Ian. Um, it was a lot of fun uh, discussing the hardest sports or hardest positions in sports. <laughs> sure was. Alrighty. Well, uh, time for a drink break, everybody. Alrighty, so we're back with top 10 linebackers. Uh, I don't know about you, Ian. One of the reasons I talked so long in the last segment, to be honest with you guys, I don't know much about linebackers. I committed to doing the top 10 sections, but linebackers was one of the ones where eh, I'm not going to have much here. Uh, uh, Maybe it's different for you, Ian, but uh, I don't know. No, very much the same situation over here. Names I've heard of, but I definitely don't know as much about certain positions, linebackers, and then if you're doing DBs as well, will definitely stretch my football knowledge. <laughs> Is Rufus Island still playing? Um, all right. Well, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, um, here is our very educated take on the linebackers. <laughs> um, I've got number one, Fred Warner, number two, Roquan Smith in Baltimore, number three, Bobby Wagner, who's back with the Seattle Number four, Levante. Nope, Shaquille, Shaquille Leonard, who I think is going to have a good comeback season. Five, I have Levante David, who defies time. Six, I have Demario Davis, the late bloomer. Seven, I've got Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa, mainly because I like the name and I think he has the athletic abilities. Eight, I've got the San Francisco running mate, Dre Greenlaw. Nine, I've got Tremaine Edmonds, who no longer plays in Buffalo. I don't know where he plays right now, actually. Number 10, I've got Nick Bolton. I think it's about time that we consider him a top 10 linebacker. Um, I don't know. Before we get into it, who's your top 10 there, Ian? Yeah, lots of similarities between your top 10 and mine, John. So number one, Fred Warner out of San Francisco and Roquan Smith in the second spot for me. Bobby Wagner from Seattle at number three, Shaq Leonard, then Demario Davis, Levanta David, Traymond Edmonds is coming in. I think I have him at number seven here. He's in Chicago now after signing a contract there with the Bears. Okay. Um, his old teammate I've got at number eight in Matt Milano, still in Buffalo for him. Uh, and then Dre Greenlaw from San Francisco and Eric Kendricks uh, rounds up my top 10 with TJ Edwards and Nick Bolton as my honorable mentions. Oh, yes. Honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Um, yes, I would put Eric, Eric Kendricks in my honorable mentions. Um, but yes, so I mean, yeah, there are our top tens. Hit it or like it, folks. That's it. That's what we think. Um, I mean, players that I want to highlight Roquan Smith is a guy that I've always liked. He came out of Georgia, uh, he was in Chicago for a long time. I think he kind of just got a little fed up because <clears throat> Chicago hasn't done much in terms of building a dynasty or building a championship winning team. It's only a matter of time until I think Justin Fields maybe wants his way out. They're adding more. They're growing. I like Chicago. I want them to do better. Either way, it's more about Roquan Smith, who's now in Baltimore. Um, yeah, Roquan Smith, I, I really like. Super athletic. 
Huge sideline to sideline guy. Um, I, he's arguable, I think, for number one. Fred Warner, I think, is a consensus number one. But Roquan Smith is is putting in a case for for getting at least one or two votes as number one by a couple of people out there. Um, I really like Roquan Smith. I don't know how about how about you? Just on Roquan Smith, there, John. One of the things that I think speaks volumes about his resume is when he got traded to the Ravens. He helped transform that defense. They held opponents to 14.6 points per game after he arrived in Baltimore. So definitely helps to solidify that defense in a big way. Um, But one person I want to shout out is Fred Warner, who you touched on a bit there. This isn't somewhat like I think it's unfair to compare him to Luke Keekley because Luke Keekley was just on a whole other level when it came to the mental preparation. But he he does remind me in some ways of that. Like he yeah. Is able to process what's happening on the field so quickly, and he puts himself in the right position to make the plays because he knows what to expect. That's going down to like just game preparation, but also on-field IQ to react. There, I know we talked about it in the last segment, but the reactionary ability that he has to sniff out what play is happening and then covering it, just he sets himself apart as a number one linebacker in the league. Yeah, no, I agree. Um I mean, yeah, he's also got a tremendous running mate out there in San Francisco. Yeah, he and, and Dre Greenlaw made both of our lists, and I think it's pretty impressive for one team to have two top 10 linebackers. For both of us, like San Francisco is absolutely stacked with linebackers in that case. Yeah, no, again, super linebacking core there. Another guy that I really like, both of us have him in the top four. It's this is the first time we have identical top fours. Um, but it's Shaq Leonard. I I think he's gonna have. He, well, he came in the league as Darius Leonard. I don't know the full reason, but he's now Shaq Leonard, um, the big linebacker in Indianapolis. There, I think Shaq Leonard coming off some injuries and stuff like that. I think he's gonna bounce back and he's gonna show why we we both have him at number four. Um, I really like him as a linebacker, and I think he is the defense in Indianapolis. For sure, like a linebacker, to me, it's a big thing is like a linebacker and a safety. That is a bit of a bias because yeah. as a Ravens fan, as a Ravens fan, when they had Ray and Ed, yeah. those two like made that defense. Um, but it's for sure a key position, like a, a field general in a lot of ways when it comes to the defense. But um, another guy on my list is Trey, Man- Trey Main Edmonds. And for me, like I always loved him when he played in Buffalo and he got paid in this offseason just with the numbers that he put up there. But I think similar to what you were saying, I think it was about uh, Roquan Smith. He's also another like sideline to sideline guy who's really able to make sure that he's getting those tackles like he gets 100 plus tackles every year. Um, But with that, it's also his pass coverage as well, which I think can sometimes be like overlooked as a as a linebacker, those that can drop back and hit pass coverage in a really effective way takes away the crossing routes, things like that for the QB. Yeah, no, 100%. I I, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I, I really like Tremaine Edmonds. His brother now plays for the Philadelphia Eagles, the best team in football. Um, but yeah, I, I really like Tremaine Edmonds. Um, one guy who you now have on your list is his backup, Matt Milano. I don't know why. Maybe it's just something about him that I don't like. I know stats will probably prove me wrong. I think Matt Milano's just overrated. I don't know. I just, 
not to say he's overrated. I just think he's any linebacker on that defense would get the tackles that he's getting. So I don't know. I don't, I just, I don't have Matt Milano as a top 10 linebacker. I think in Buffalo, they had similar to what San Francisco has right now with Warner and Greenlaw. They're the like dual headed linebacker core of Edmonds and Milano really worked well, but they had to choose because both those players got paid this past off season. I probably would have gone with Edmonds, but I still think Milano is a top 10 linebacker. Again, it's, he doesn't necessarily get as many tackles as Edmonds, but comparing the two, like they both do very similar things. He's also good in the pass coverage as well. And he's just reliable. Yeah. I mean, maybe you go with him because he's not that much worse and he's probably a lot cheaper than what Tremaine Edmonds wanted. I don't know what the contracts are like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Another guy that, I mean, I wanted to highlight was on my list, um, Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa. I could be on drugs on this one. Um, maybe it's just because I like the name a lot. I think he's a super freak athletic ability. Um, but I think if he stays healthy and puts it all together, he could be a top five linebacker with the athletic abilities that he has. Um, he's he's fast enough that he could even play safety if he wanted to. Uh, but yeah, Jeremiah Usukaramoa over in uh, Cleveland out of Notre Dame. I'm going to say his name a million times because I love saying Jeremiah Um But yeah, I, don't, I just, I think if he keeps it uh, healthy and puts it together for a full season, he could be a top five linebacker. Which I know is silly to say if any linebacker stays healthy and puts it together for a season, but like he actually, I think, has the skills to do it. He could have the skills to do it. And yeah, he's got to put it all together. It'll be interesting to see if next year, you know, there's still that same feeling because part of it's also consistency, right? Uh, to yeah, be a top. I'm going to have that episode. Ten. We're going to see. Am I a genius or am I stupid as hell? Yeah. It's going to be at the and, end of the and, season. We're going to look back. And for me, John, it's it's a new name for me with uh, Jeremiah there because as we started the segment with, my knowledge on linebackers is definitely not as strong as, you know, people you might be picking for fantasy football because none of the leagues I play in <laughs> go for individual defensive players. But it's still fun to do the research on this segment. Yeah, no, 100%. That said, there you have it, folks. That's as much knowledge as we have on the linebacker position. Um, very key position means a lot. There's some really good players. Fred Warner, if you don't know the name and you're not a crazy football fan, look up his highlights. He is a freak on the football field. Um, but either way, there you have it. Thanks a lot, folks, for listening to our, I'd say uneducated, but still very fun research topic on the uh, top 10 linebackers in the NFL today. So here we are at the end of another episode of Roped In. Um, I hope it sounds like it. I- I'm getting a lot more comfortable. It seems like I'm getting more comfortable with with guests on, mainly friends. I hope it, it comes across that way. I don't know about you, Ian, but I don't know. It seems like we're we're getting a little bit better at this whole podcast conversational thing. Definitely feeling the same way on my side. I feel like... I guess this is what my fourth episode now that I'm on. I'm feeling more comfortable. I think there's a little bit of back and forth happening. So definitely evolving as we keep going. Yeah, no, it's definitely been good. Um, But again, today's episode, you heard what we think are the hardest position to play in sports, which we could be completely wrong. Let us know in the uh, Instagram post in the comment section. Um, But again, we, we, we thought those positions were the hardest. And then we're continuing the top 10 linebackers. 
surprise next week's episode i'm gonna have the top 10 defensive backs um it is gonna be my last one of the nfl segment so if you're not an nfl fan you've been supporting um bear on for one more episode just one more segment of it um so that one's going on we'll see what's going to happen on the next one um i uh i am going to be in orlando um surprise surprise i think one of the cool things i'm going to quickly give away right now um i bought my dad uh birthday tickets and we are going to the monday night football game where the tampa bay buccaneers are hosting the philadelphia e a g o e s eagles hey actually in I'm going to send you a photo. Actually, you've probably seen the video. I think it's shared around our group, but I'm just going to play it one more time because my sister sent it to me. So, how I've always said that Eagles chant on this, that's what we do. Listen to this, folks. Yep. Uh, yep. You heard it, folks. That just happened. Um... But yes, either way, uh, I'm going to the Eagles game, so I'm super excited. But I think I'm going to try and get my dad on the next episode um, because I'm going to be in there. Going to see if I can get some ugly family members, ugly other family members um, on the podcast. Um, so maybe my group of friends might potentially take a week off. But oh, I don't know. They've been doing good on the top ten segment. Maybe I got to keep him. Maybe I got to find some way to do a Zoom call with him while I'm in Orlando. Crap, I didn't think about this. Okay. Maybe I delay. Maybe we do top 10 defensive backs when I get back. Who knows, folks? Now I'm getting too much into the future episodes. I don't want to tie too much of your time. Thank you very much for listening. I got really nothing more to say. Thanks, for Ian, for joining me for another episode. And uh, as always, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> <laughs>